I'm learning how to use this thing. The beauty of children during, during the announcements, uh, when they mention the child dedication, Micah's question is, but if they give us to God, then we're not going to have a mom and a dad anymore. He was paying attention, though. Good job. And then when he said, you can see Denise to sign up for any other things, he said, well, I want to sign up for the worship team. So he said, yes, Jessica, um, get ready, because you have somebody who wants to come on, on onto the team. But there's something awesome about these kids. Come on, guys, let's give all of our kids a round of applause. And, and I know that some of you um, have been on break this summer, but the whole idea behind uh, Kids Month really was, you know, the beauty of parents worshiping with their kids. More than anything, their kids seeing their parents worship. I think that we put a lot of uh, emphasis on expecting other people to teach our kids. And we don't understand sometimes how much more weight there is to us teaching our kids. You know, they go to school. We're not teachers, those that aren't teachers. So because they get a lot of their academic education in school, I think we expect that a lot of other things are gonna happen in the same way. And really, it depends on us. So the idea behind this was, you know what? We wanna encourage parents to come to service with their kids, let their kids see what it's like to worship God, but what it's also to receive the word of God. And I know that's not easy for them. They're used to being over there and having fun and not having to sit. So we appreciate you kids. You guys have done such a great job this summer. And don't worry, you are almost back in Kids Church every day. Is today the day? Or can we have Kids Church today? Not yet, buddy. Almost. Almost. Two more weeks. So Kids Church relaunches August 11th. That means that next Sunday you will be here with us. But it's going to be fun. We're going to have our, our missionaries here. But August 11th, we start again, and we're going to launch our Spanish service. All right? So during Spanish service, we will have Kids Church as well. I don't know how many of you guys have had a good week, maybe a tiring week. Yeah? Anybody had a tiring week? All right, but let's pray. I want us to pray because I know that God has a word for us today, but I know also how hard it is to sometimes focus in on what God wants to say when we've got the tiring week and everything else, you know, that gets there. So let's pray. Father, thank you so much just for your presence and your love, and thank you that you want to speak to us. Thank you, Lord, that your word never fails and that your word is forever. Lord, that even though the earth and the skies may pass away, your word remains. Lord, and allow us to receive this word today that you can prepare our hearts and our minds. God, and that you would allow us to focus in on what you have to say to us today because we believe that it is for refreshing and for edifying and for building us up. God, that it can be more than just a word that we hear, but that it can be a word of activation in our lives to move us towards where you want to take us. In Jesus' name, amen. And throughout the month, as you guys know, we have been talking about different things or different, thing, different things that we are inviting you to, right? So the first week we talked about you being invited to worship, and we talked about worship is more than the songs that we sing on Sunday morning, right? And the worship team does. But worship is really our life and how we live our life and how we align ourselves to God's plan and God's vision for our lives. And then the second week, we talked about expressions of worship. We talked about how we're expressive beings and the same way that you express yourself with your spouse or with a boyfriend, the same way you express yourself with your children, the same way you express yourself in a ball game or in something that you love or a concert of someone that you love to listen to. In that same way, we should express ourselves to God, the God who loves us, the God that we love, right? So we talked about that there are seven different expressions of worship and like always, if you didn't hear any, if you missed any of the messages, you can go back and listen to them on our app. And last week we talked about in being invited to preach. And we talked about that it's not necessarily preaching 
um, on a Sunday morning here, right, on the altar. But that preaching is really about sharing, being a, someone who shares a story. And we talked about how we each have a story to share, that there is really no comparison to stories. There is no story that's too big, no story that's too small, right? No story that's insignificant. I know we're the ones that love to compare stories, but God doesn't. Your story is powerful for what it is, right? And your story will transform someone else's life. And we talked about the importance of you sharing your story because even though it's different than someone else's, somebody needs to hear your story. My story may not touch somebody the way your story does, right? Because they can relate, right? Story's all about relationship. And we can't all relate to everybody's story because we're not all living it. So it's important that you get to share your story and not feel like it's less than. But as believers and as, as followers of Jesus, and it's us saying that we love God, we got to love people. And if we love people, then we care about their eternity. And if we care about their eternity, then we have to be someone that shares to them about the God that loves them and that can change their situation. Amen. So today, I want to invite you to give. And I know that this is, when you hear the word give, the first thing that people think about is all the things that they don't have. <laughs> when someone asks you to give, the first thing you think about is all the things you don't have and what you can't do and what you don't know, right? That's the first thing that comes to your mind. Or am I the only one? I'm the only one. Okay, well, that's the first thing that comes to my mind. When I hear the word give, I think, but how? You know, I don't have this and I don't have that, right? And we come up with a list of things that we can't do and a list of things that we can't give. And what we start to do is that we start to look at whatever we do have as something small or something that's too insignificant to even mention, right? We look at it like, oh, yeah, it's not a big deal. I don't even think about it. It doesn't even cross my mind when someone asks me because I feel like it's so small and insignificant and pointless, like it doesn't matter. But all of us have something to give. We all have something, and before God and in God's hands, nothing is too insignificant. Some of you received something in your hand, and if you got something, I want you to put it up in the air, and Yanya, if you can wave that one like you just don't care because it's all the way on that side. Just put it up in the air, and I want to know, what did you get? So, hey, what do you have? A book. A Lead Like Jesus book, yes. Sorry, yeah, yeah, you were, it's okay. Lily, a pouch with colors and pencils, a notebook. You've got a Dave and Buster's game card. Anybody else? A holy Bible, a screwdriver, keys. Oh, all right, you got your keys. And so all these different things, when you look at them by themselves, they're nothing, right? When you look at them by themselves, they're insignificant. A screwdriver without screws, what do you do with it, right? But if you get a table, and now you put that screwdriver together with the table, now we can do something with the screwdriver, right? Now it has a purpose. Now it has a significance. A book by itself can mean nothing, but once you read it, right, and you, get, you learn what's inside of it, now you can do something with it. A notebook by itself is nothing, but once you start putting words into it, those words mean something. The same thing with a pencil with a color by themselves are nothing, but you put them together with paper, you can create something that wasn't there. So a lot of times what we have in our hands are just like those things that people have in their hands today. By itself, it seems like nothing. It seems insignificant. It seems like, should I even share? But it means something. And the best part is that when you pair it up with God, it's a lot greater than what it can be or what it can do on its own. So when we invite you to give, the first thing I ask you is not to think about the, or you know what, after you think about the list of what you don't have and what you can't do, I want you to think about what's in your hands. 
I believe that when God asks us to give, the first thing that he is asking each of you is asking me is what is in your hands? Before you think about what you don't have, before you look to the left or to the right or look at someone else, look at your own hands and ask yourself, what is in your hands? You don't need anyone else or what someone else has. You can do something with what you already have. And there's a lot of stories in the Bible of what people or what God used through people to do something. And there's one of those stories that is a, a famous story of Moses. So for those who don't know who Moses is, Moses was a Hebrew boy that was born in a time when the Hebrews were in Egypt and they were enslaved and the Pharaoh of Egypt made a decree that every boy that was under two years old had to be killed. So he was born in that time and he fell in the age range of boys that had to be killed. His mother being, um, I guess smart, but crazy at the same time, put him in a basket and sent him down a river. And the Pharaoh's daughter found him. So Moses, the boy that was supposed to die, was then raised in the palace as a prince. And his life, he lived just like an Egyptian. He was a prince, he was the highest person. He learned everything, he received everything that he needed because he was the Pharaoh's daughter. But in the depths of it all, Moses knew that he was a Hebrew. And the time came where he got in that internal struggle that sometimes we go through, right? Where he started to have that holy discontent with, hey, yeah, I'm living like a prince. Yeah, I got the life. But in reality, these are my people and my people are suffering. So he decided to rise up and go fight and be the spokesperson. And he fought and he killed one of the Egyptians. And he did it his way. And because of that, he was exiled and sent away. So Moses was trying to do something good, did it kind of crazy. He was exiled. He then ran into the Midian desert and he ran into a new family. The new chance to erase his old life and start a new life. So the Bible says that for 40 years he lived there with Jethro, his father-in-law. He got married, he had kids, and he had become a shepherd. So he was the prince in Egypt who was a Hebrew, who left that world behind to now become a shepherd, to now walk around with a staff and hit sheep and tell them which way to go. If you put it on a balance, would you have given up being prince to become a shepherd? How many of us would have said yes to the shepherd job? Not a lot of us. So he's here, he's a shepherd. Pretty much he's done what a lot of us do. Where, hey, I tried this, it didn't work out. I'm gonna ignore, I'm gonna move on. I didn't really forget about it, but I'm gonna tell myself I forgot about it because as I see, it feels like it's so impossible and so hard and so far away. I'm just gonna act like I'm somebody else and I'm gonna act like I'm doing something else. And I'm just gonna learn to be okay with that. But one day Moses is walking and there's a burning bush and the bush starts to call his name. And like any of us, or maybe not. Maybe, you know, we've seen so many, so many scary movies nowadays that we probably all would have run. But like every good, you know, like every good person that gets caught in the movies, we're gonna leave that alone. He walks to the bush. <laughs> and in the bush is God talking to Moses. And God tells Moses, Moses, guess what? I need you to go free my people. 
And what happens? Moses, the first thing he th says is, uh, but I can't. Right? He gives God the list of excuses and reasons why he can't. He gives God the reasons of everything that he's missing, everything he doesn't have, everything he doesn't know, everything he can't do, all the reasons why he cannot be the one, how God made a mistake and he needs to go call somebody else. And the best part of the story is when God says, all right, I've heard everything you can't do. I've heard all your excuses, but I've only got one question for you. Exodus 4.2. The Lord said, what is that in your hand? A staff, replied. God said, I've heard enough of what you don't have, but I want you to talk to me about what you do have. What is that in your hand? A staff, a fancy word of saying a stick. Nothing, insignificant, minor non-important, not good enough to mention, not good enough to think about, not good enough to pay attention to, yet the very thing that God wanted to use. Sometimes the things that we have in our hands to us seem insignificant, to us seem small. Why? Because we love to compare it to someone else's. Because we've heard the lie in our society time and time again that the only good thing is the things that are in the front that everyone sees. We love to make categories. We categorize sin. Oh, sin is, I'm a good person. I don't kill. I don't steal. Right? How many of you guys have heard that? How many of you guys have said that? You don't have to raise your hand. But the Bible says knowing to do the right thing and not doing it is a sin. Mm. That opens the door to a lot of things that could be sin. And in the same way we categorize talent, we categorize gifts, if I'm not preaching, if I'm not singing, if I'm not on a stage, then what I do is not enough. If I'm not the boss, if I'm not the CEO, then what I do is insignificant. Because society makes us feel like we either gotta go big or we gotta go home. But God says that very thing that seems small and insignificant to you is the very thing that I will use. And Moses goes on, if you continue to read in Exodus and the rest of the Pentateuch, the rest of the first five books of the Bible, he goes on to take this one little stick, perform miracles, to part the Red Sea, to be the thing that God uses to save the Israelites time and time again. So much so that today, hundreds of thousands of years later, we're still talking about Moses' stuff. The thing that was so small and insignificant was the thing that God asked. God used. So his question to you this morning, his question to you, to me this morning is what is in your hands? I know what you don't have. I know what you can't do. And the great thing about God is that he doesn't ask us to give what we don't have. He doesn't ask us to do anything with what we don't have. But he's asking you what is in your hands? Then we see the story in 2 Kings of a widow. A widow who was desperate who went to the prophet Elisha and said, I need your help. My husband has died and he's left us so much debt that our debtors, our creditors are coming to take my children away, to take my sons away as a payment for all the money that I owe. I don't have enough money. I cannot pay them back and I also don't want to give up my kids. Please help me. So Elisha comes to the lady, to the widow and says, okay, the famous question that I hope that by the end of today, you believe that it is the question that God is asking us this morning. In 2 Kings chapter 4, 
Elisha replied to her, how can I help you? Tell me. Let's read it together. What do you have in your house? I already heard that you don't have money. I already heard the story. I already heard everything else. But I'm going to go back to the most important question. What do you have in your house? Not what you're going to ask. Not what you're going to find out. No, no. What, what do you already have in your house? Your servant has nothing there at all. Right? Because it was so insignificant that it's not worth mentioning. Except a small jar of olive oil. I really have nothing. In other words, there is nothing here that you can possibly use. There is nothing here that can possibly do any good. There is nothing here that can possibly make something. All I have is a jar of oil. And that lady grabbed that jar of oil and Elisha said, okay, I want you to send your sons to your whole entire neighborhood and I want you to collect every single jar that people have. Everywhere, as far as you can go, all the jars. And when her sons came in, and got the jars, the Bible says they closed the door behind them. And the lady started to pour from that one, except just, just that small, insignificant, small jar of oil. She began to pour into the jars. And the Bible says that the, jar, the oil did not stop until every single jar was full. She had one jar of oil that turned into hundreds of jars of oil. She sold the oil she paid her debt. She saved her family. It was so small. It was so insignificant. She didn't even think about it. But it's the very thing that God used to save her family. That small jar of oil was small in her hands, but in the hands of God, it turned into something bigger. And then we have this famous story that is a, a favorite of the little kids because it's one that you always teach, like maybe because it involves a little boy. And there was a story when Jesus is out and he's preaching and the people and the multitudes are coming to hear Jesus preach and it's getting tired. I mean, it's getting late. People are getting tired, but people are getting hungry. You know how you feel after you've been here a long day? There's something about the spirit that makes you extra hungry. The people are hungry and the disciples who are also hungry are like, um, so God, um, Jesus, so how about we let the people go and find some food because they're hungry. And we're hungry. And Jesus asked the famous question. What is the famous question? What's in your hands? What do you have? Right? So here we find the story in Matthew chapter 14. He says, they don't need to go away. You give them something to eat. To which the disciples are probably thinking, uh, did you miss the part that we're hungry too and we don't have food? So you want us to give them something to eat from what? We have here only five loaves of bread and two fish. In other words, I don't even want to mention it, but since you're pushing so hard, I want you to know. And I'm sure it was Peter with an attitude like, you know, when your kids are like, yeah, that's all I got. Like trying to get you, trying to trip you up. They were trying to trip Jesus up like uh, 5,000 plus people, five pieces of bread, two, two fish. I'm going to tell you that's what I got, but I want you to know that it's not enough. I want you to know that it's, it means nothing. But Jesus said, bring them here to me. So Jesus gets it, he prays over it, he breaks the bread, he blesses it, and if you continue to read the story, there is enough to not only feed the 5,000 plus people, but there are 12 baskets of food left over. Five little pieces of bread and two pieces of fish, 
fed thousands of people and there was some left over because God is not a greedy God. He's not counting down the pennies. He gives more and abundantly. The very fish that was nothing for the little boy. The little boy was his lunch. He was like, uh, so I came prepared and y'all didn't come prepared. So now y'all gonna take my fish and my bread. But I'm, he must have been a good, a good, some good manners because that he gave that, that, or maybe his mom did it for him, I don't know. But the boy had five loaves and two fish. That's what they had in their hands. And it's the very thing that God used to feed thousands of people and to be a miracle that we hear today. So the question is, what is in your hands? Maybe you don't have a staff. Maybe you don't have a basket of fish. And Because and, if, if you really think about it, it was kind of nasty to just walk around with fish. I mean, I don't like seafood, so maybe that's why it's such a weird story to me. But maybe you don't have oil. But I'm going to tell you what you do have. There are three things that each of you has that I have. And it doesn't matter if you thought about it or not, you got it. And the first thing that is in your hand, the first thing that you can give to God, the first thing that you can offer is your life. If you're here today, it means that you are breathing and it means that you are alive, so you've got a life to give. When we come to Jesus, when we say, Jesus, I want you to be my Savior, I want to follow you, what we're saying is, hey, I want to give you my life so that instead of me doing it my way, you can do it your way. When we come to Jesus, what we're saying is, I want you to be my Lord, meaning I want you to help me live this life the best way, the way that the person who created it knows is the best way. So you've got a life to give. And a lot of times we get so caught up, we give our life to Jesus, but we think that it ends there. But Jesus is very specific that it's not just about saying, I love you, Jesus, but it's about giving your life in service to other people. Because what matters the most to God is people. You matter to God, but it matters to God that you care about other people. So when he talks about giving your life, he's saying, hey, can you give your life to people because your life was not just for you. What's in your hand was not just for you, but it's for other people. And we can see the stories over and over again of people giving their life in service, people serving the Lord, people sacrificing for other people. And we see in Mark the story that if he could do it, then we could do it. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, meaning even the one who could do it, even the one who is God, who created you, who created everything, if he being the one that really could say, worship me and do things for me, if even he did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many, then guess what? You're not too good to serve and to give your life as a ransom for many. And in one of the versions, it says to give his life as a rescue for many. And maybe you're thinking, rescue? How am I going to rescue somebody? I can't save anybody. Here we go again. You know, I ain't got this. I ain't got that. I'm not jujitsu. I can't save nobody from a gun. I can't save nobody from a fight. But you know what? You've got a story. You've got a story that can, share some, that can save someone who's, going, who's lost, who's desperate, who's depressed, and get them out. You've got the opportunity to bring groceries to someone in a time where their families didn't have any, and you could have saved the life. You've got the time to be a listening ear, to be a hug to someone who was desperate for some love and save a life. You've got something to give, and you don't have to cut yourself short or make it insignificant or minimalize what you have. Because what you have in the hands of God can do a lot more than you can do on your own.
but we've all got our life to give. But we've also got our talent. You've also got your talent to give. And it's not about what kind of talent compared to this talent, but each of us has something. Each of us has something that God has given us that can be used to bless other people, that can be used to serve other people. And you know, that's something that I was thinking about and I was, um, like we shared last, like last week, I think we shared, yeah, we were at General Conference last week um, for our church, our denomination's General Conference. And one of the recurring themes was just how comfortable the American church is compared to the rest of the world. And one of the things being that we're so comfortable because we don't have to fight for Jesus. Um, in other places, they're literally hiding to worship. They, it's so bad that there's places that can't be mentioned that there's a following of, of that there's a church there because if, there, if it's found out that there's a church there, then the people will be persecuted and will be killed. But we're so comfortable, so comfortable that our churches have become places of consumption versus places of people who give. We consume more than we contribute. And the question is, when did it become where it was more important to consume than to contribute? We're so worried about the things that'll serve us, that will help us, that will make it easier for us, that won't get me uncomfortable, that won't require me to wake up earlier, that won't require me to give of my time or my money, that won't require me to make any changes in my life, that won't require sacrifices. I'm worried about my things and I don't want anyone else to touch that. So much so that even though we love Jesus, we are consuming more than we are contributing. And we're all guilty. Why? Because it's the way our lives are set up, right? Our lives are set up to go to work and get that. And once you get that and you get, you know, and you pay these things, then you start dreaming about the things that you can't have. So you work more so you can have those other things that you're dreaming of. And once you get that, guess what happens? You work even more so you can get those other things that now that you've gotten this, hey, I got to go to another tier of more things that I can do. And our life becomes a cycle of consumption. And we can't contribute. And we come to the church because this is our life outside, but we bring it to the church but we just want to consume. We just want it to feel good and be right for us. And it's so hard to shake that. Because guess what? It's easy and it's so much funner not to have to contribute. There's days that I say, God, if you can just give this pastorship to somebody else, and I want to be somebody who wakes up and decides, hmm, am I going to church today? Maybe next week. I wish it would be so much easier. I'm sure my kids will be so much happier. They hate when I wake them up every early, early in the morning and make them come here and sit through two services. <laughs> I love you. We appreciate you. It's easy. So it's not that you're wrong. It's not that you're the worst people. No, it's easy. It's what our life is set up for. The question is, are we going to push that? Are we going to push past that and say, you know what? Even though this is the easy way, I know that this is not the best way. Because the life that God has for us is so much more. The Bible says that it is better to give than to receive, and there's a reason why. Because even though it feels good to get things, when you give something, it fills something in you that getting cannot fill. When you serve, it fills something in you that receiving cannot fill. We each got a talent, 
And there is no talent that is too big. There is no talent that's too small. And the talents are not just for this house, but for people out there. People need it. Yes, we need it here because we're supposed to build each other up. This is the place where we encourage another. But I'm, in, I'm encouraging you to give of your talent wherever you are. At your job, there's something that you have to give. In your family, there is something that you have to give. And in 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 10 and 11, it says, Each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others. So the gift is not for you. The gift is not to make you feel good. But the gift is to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. If anyone speaks, they should do so as one who speaks the very words of God. The words that you say matter. You don't have to be preaching a sermon to use the words of God. But you can decide to use the opposite of the words of God in some of our conversations, right? But when you speak, it should be like one who speaks the words of God. If anyone serves, they should do so with the strength God provides. So in serving, we receive power. So that in all things, God may be praised through Jesus Christ. So hold up. When we serve, when we give, it's a way of worship. Worship is not just on Sunday morning, right? Every act of service is an act of worship. Every act of giving is an act of worship. So when we are actively serving, when we are actively giving, we are actively worshiping our God, the God who gave everything for us. To him be the glory and the power forever and ever. Amen. Each of us have a, has a talent to give. And I know that it's hard sometimes to give of ourselves and the truth is that a lot of times we're so filled with insecurity, right? We're so filled with doubt. I don't know if it happens to you like it happens to me. We question ourselves so much and we have so many thoughts that by the time it's time, we've already convinced ourselves not to do it because... to the use of God. But God wants you to know today, if anything else, that whatever you have in your hand, it may seem insignificant to you, but in God's hands, it can do a lot more. In God's hands, it can go a lot further. In God's hands, it could cause healing. In God's hand, it could bring transformation. It could bring change. It could bring renewal. It can save a life. It can save a family. In God's hands, it can transform your family. It can transform your life. All he wants you to do is give it to him. His question remains, what is in your hands? 
You've got your life, you've got your talent, but you've also got your treasure. The Bible says that where your treasure is, there is where your heart is as well. And I know that it's that topic that everyone wishes we would never speak about in church, but the truth is that the way of the world, the currency of the world is money. And every single thing that we do moves with money. So if it's something that's such a big part of our lives, don't you think that it's going to be something that God is also involved in when we say, hey, God, I give you my life? It's the very thing that's important to us. And you could say it's not important to you, but how many of you go to sleep and how many of you wake up thinking about your job or the things that you need to pay or the things that you need to do? And if you're telling me that you never do, then I'm going to question how true that is. Maybe I'm the only one that every day is looking at my little notebook and jotting down what we spent and what else we have left. Because everything in our life moves with money. We pay our bills with money. We make dreams with money. We feed our children with money. We buy things with money. Everything is money. So the money aspect, the treasure aspect, is what you have in your hand. And let's not get into, well, I don't have as much as so-and-so. Of course, if you were a millionaire, you wouldn't give millions. It's not about a money issue. It's about a heart issue. In, in, in the book of Corinthians, Paul is talking to the Corinthians and encouraging them to give. But he's telling them, hey, the church in Macedonia, which Macedonia could be what you would compare to Liberty City. You know, for those of you who are older, because I don't think they exist anymore, the pork and beans. They're still there? The beans still there? The place where everyone is in poverty, right? A place where everybody don't got nothing and everybody has an excuse not to give anything because they don't have. Yet he's telling a story about how the Macedonians were so impacted by the word and by the love of God that they said, from what we don't have, we're going to give because we want to be part of what God is doing everywhere else. So it's not about how much money you have. It's about your yes. We each got a treasure. And the amounts are different, and that's your business between you and God. But the question is, can you give of your treasure? Can you put your treasure to the disposal of others? Can you bless other people? Can you see beyond yourself and your right now and your needs? Can you see the greater picture that there's those of us here, but there are many that are not in these seats that need to be in these seats, and your giving and your contributing helps to get people in the seats. Why? Not so that we can feel better, but so that more people can know Jesus. And if more people know Jesus, more lives are changed. And if more lives are changed, more families are changed. And guess what? If families change, societies change. And you don't have to be afraid about sending your kids to school because we're changing societies. But we're waiting on someone else to do it. And God is saying, I'm not telling you to look at what your neighbor has. I want to know what you have in your hands. You've got your life. You've got your talent. And you've got your treasure. Luke 6, 38. Give and it will be given to you. A good measure. Pressed down. Shaken together and running over. Meaning I'm not going to give you the scraps. I'm not going to give you what was left over, but I'm going to get all the good stuff in first. I was saying this morning, like a good Cuban coffee, that coffee is pressed down, right? And so there's no more room. 
is going to be put into a thing where, hey, everything that's a, a make-believe that's in the way is going to move to make room for all the good stuff. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together. Anybody ever use the... Um, how you say? No, I can't. No, I can't. I can't. I can't remember Spanish words in the in the Spanish service. I can't remember English words in the English thing. Sedazo. Sedazo, guys. <laughs> what do you call Jesus? It left me right here. The thing that looks like a net. You a strainer. Thank you, Jesus. A strainer. Colador. Sedazo, okay, yeah, my bad. I, I'm speaking to the wrong Spanish crowd. Um, a strainer. You know, a strainer, it takes all the garbage out, right? And it keeps the good stuff. So it's saying it's going to go through a strainer. It's going to go through all this stuff so that you can get all the best. But the best part is that it's going to run over because my God is not a stingy God. He's not a God of scarcity. He's not a God of lack, but he's a God of abundance. He's a God of abundance. He's a God that can do above, that can do beyond. Those are the kind of words that describe him. Above, beyond, more abundantly. The things that he can do. It's going to be poured into your lap. It's not even, it's going to be so much that's going to be falling. You're going to be catching it. For with the measure that you use, it will be measured to you. And that's the best part. Because we all love God and, yeah, God, I gave my best. But you know if it's your best. And guess what? Then you're expecting your best. And God's like, oh, you forgot that it's the measure you give. It's the measure you use. Some of us have to maybe start checking the measure that we use. Because we're going to be measured according to that same measure. God is saying, you've got your treasure. It's in your hands. The question is, will you say yes to putting it to use? So this morning, I want you to think about what's in your hands. And I want to invite you guys to stand with me. And even to our kids. See, because there's no age. We all go through stages of serving. We all go through stages of giving. And they increment as different things in our lives increment. I began serving as a little girl when I would put envelopes out at church. Or I began serving when I would go with my parents to pray for people. There is no age. Parents, if you want to see a child that becomes an adult, that is healthy and changes the world, you can't wait till they're an adult to try to tell them the things that you wasted time on telling them when they were little. But you gotta start from a young age to show them and to teach them what are the things that they need to do. So God is saying, what's in your hands? Maybe what's been in your hands has been full of shame. Maybe what's been in your hands has been full of guilt. Maybe what's been in your hands is full of insecurity or insignificance. Maybe what's in your hands has just really been overwhelmed by fear. Maybe what's in your hands has been overwhelmed by doubt and you know you've got something, but it just seems so far-fetched and so small that you've convinced yourself that no one would care and no one would want it. But God wants you to know this morning, I'm not interested in what other people are thinking or saying about what is in your hands. The only thing I'm interested in is if you're willing to give it up to me. All I'm interested is in if you're willing to make a transfer between my hand and yours. To know that in your hands, maybe it's small in comparison to the world. In your hands, maybe you've never, it's never looked like much. It was just a jar of oil. It was just an old wooden stick. 
it was just a basket with a couple pieces of bread. But when you put it in my hands, it can do a lot more. It can go further than you can ever go on your own. So this morning, I want you to extend your hands in front of you. I want you to look at your hands. And I want you to look at your hands that contain different fingerprints than anyone else. I want you to look at those same hands that have carried babies, that have hugged people who needed a hug. Those same hands that go to work every day to provide for your family. Those same hands that maybe have been used to pray over someone or just hug them when you didn't know what to do. Those same hands that maybe you have lifted up to God saying, God, can you please help me? God, can you please come? Maybe when you look at your hands, you see guilt. Maybe you see dirty, but God says, I'm here to make it clean. So this morning, I want you to close your eyes and I want you to pray over your hands. And I want you to say, regardless of what my hands were before, I'm not going to give you the list of excuses, God. I'm not going to give you the list of all the things that could have, should have, would have, that could have gone bad. But I'm going to tell you that I'm giving my hands to you. Lord, I'm giving them over to you for you to do what only you can do. For you to make them over, for you to use them for your glory. For you to use them to impact the lives that I cannot impact on my own. Father, I'm giving you my hands. Because truly, there is freedom in these hands. There is an encouraging word in these hands. So I give myself to you, Jesus. Lord, in all shame, all guilt, Father, all insecurity, all low self-esteem, Lord, all comfort, all fear, all doubt leaves in the name of Jesus. Lord, and you bring something fresh. God, and you bring your words to their memory and you let them know who you say that they are. Not what anyone else says, not what anyone else thinks, but who you say they are, that they are chosen, that they are loved, that they are forgiven, that they are new creations, that they are made new, that their old has gone and the new has come. Jesus. 